All right, how you guys doing today? Nice. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited too. Well, uh, I'm Todd. I think it's the second time. I'll see if I can get five in. Pastor here, so if it's your first time, which I can't tell if there's visitors, but if, visitors, but if there are, uh, yeah, I hope to see you and say hi. If you are here for the first time and for some in a while, we are in the midst, that's a fancy word of saying the middle, of a series called The Kingdom, in which we are investigating this concept that's brought up multiple times in, uh, throughout the scripture, where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how we tend to gloss over that, right? We just do. This is what it means. It just, hey, this is being a Christian, and certainly that is part of it. Christians are in the kingdom, um, but Christians don't always live like that. We just don't. And that there's more to it than just symbolism and kind of just dissecting that. And there's a lot there. Over a hundred times just in the New Testament is the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven mentioned. Over ten different books. That's a big deal. And so, clearly Jesus says, steps on the scene in the Gospels and says, Repent, the kingdom of God is here. Believe in the good news. And uh, so we're, what does that mean? Does it feel good to you? Because y'all don't look real good, right? Like happy. I mean, you look good. Don't get me wrong. But that's true, right? I always used to think, and, and I'm one of these, we are the mopiest people in the world. And it's so funny, right? I mean, would you really pick hanging out with us if you didn't know? Would you? I don't think I would. If you're looking at a club where people are dancing and having a good time, just throw out the drugs and illegal activity, okay? Just the dancing and smiling, and I look at us, which one are you going to pick? And yet, why is that? Because you just view it as a set of rules most of the time. I get it, me too. There's more to it than that. So, one of the verses that we've kind of wrapped this series around is Colossians 1, 13, and 14. He has rescued us. He, capital H, who's that? who is that? Jesus. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's nice symbolism. I don't think it is. So, I think it's more than that. We have to take God at his word. So if we've been transferred from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, in which we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins in him, why are we so mopey? Y'all are mopey. I can see your faces right now. And then you got mad because I said you're mopey. That's what you do. I know how you are because I'm one of you. How dare you call me grumpy? It's so funny. I will come in sometimes like, hey, why are you so grumpy? The most insulting thing I can say to someone is to point out they're grumpy when they're doing this. I'm not grumpy. As though it's crazy that I would consider the fact that you could be grumpy. Right? Versus, you know, you have an obligation to, I can only go by your facial expressions, your clenched fists, you know, and you're under your breath cursing. I'm just kidding. Yeah, so why are we like that? So that's kind of what we're talking about, because when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, and the Bible talks about it, it does not talk about a mopey place. It just doesn't. Um, so we're going to talk today, well, we're in the midst of that. So today, we're going to talk about something called priceless, but before that, Last week, you got a history lesson. Who here is interested in psychology? Nice. Yeah, well, we're going to get psychology today. Who has heard of the term delayed gratification? Nice. Keep it up if you think you know what it means. <laughs> I love it. People are honest. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, I will tell you. Delayed gratification, you ready for the fancy terminology? Delayed gratification or deferred gratification is the resistance to the temptation of an immediate pleasure in the hope of obtaining a valuable, look at that up on the screen for you, valuable and long-lasting reward in the long term. Put simply, I put up something that might make me happy in the moment because I understand that in doing that, I'm going to get something better in the future. Make sense? So, Todd, what are examples of that? Examples of delayed gratification. Some of you, anyone here is still in college? All right, cool. School. It's the temptation sometimes. I can watch Netflix or I can study for the exam. In the moment, you're happy. By the way, you never are. Have you ever noticed that? I used to, it's like when you, I skipped school one time in high school. Twice, that's a lie. I just lied to you. Twice. 
Both times I was miserable because I was panicked the entire time that I was going to get caught. Um, so it was a waste of time. Uh, but you can watch Netflix or study for an exam. So like even when you're watching Netflix, when you have that exam, you're not really happy. You're just like, I'm, I'm distracted, but you're not. But that's, that's an idea. Watch an example. Watch Netflix or study for an exam. Knowing that if I study for the exam, tomorrow I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be able to focus. It'll be better anyway to watch the new episode of, I don't know, Bikini Beach or whatever else Netflix has. Number two, eating a smaller piece. Don't act like you ain't watching that stuff. Eating a smaller piece of cake instead of the whole cake. Right? I'm going to have a little sliver. What's, what size is your sliver? Mine's like here. <laughs> Have a, uh, a small piece of cake instead of the whole cake so that, one, I'm not going to feel sick later, right? But if, if you're trying to lose weight, you understand in that moment, hey, getting a little sliver is better than nothing, first off. But also, in the long run, I'm going to feel better about myself if I don't eat that cake. Could be not smoking to enjoy health benefits. Now, listen, I get it. I... <laughs> AJ's a weirdo. I was like, yeah. Anytime I bring up something from his past, smoke. I do too. Anyway, <laughs> weird guy. Uh, <laughs> love you, dude. Smoking, right? So I have never smoked genuinely. That's something I haven't done. Um, but I, I understand because I asked my buddies, you get a little like, it feels good. Right? You, you makes your stress go away, but there's also this kind of like little buzz. That's a good thing. So in the moment, you're stressed, you're struggling, you're trying to quit. It's really easy to think I'll have one. To get through that moment, right? Delayed gratification says, I'm willing to go through this, not do that for the long-term benefits that I'm going to have. That's a great example. Make sense? Could be financially. I'm not going to buy the brand new car, even though I could. I'm going to buy the car that is $4,000 cheaper and save that money. Right? Delayed gratification. Uh, fitness. I could be, okay, I don't want to get up and run. Um, but I'm going to enjoy the benefits of running. Unless you're an anomaly like me, and it doesn't matter how much you run, nothing changes because you run till you die, and nothing happens. But delayed gratification. So psychology today, actually, and positive psychology, I read all these psychology things and places and websites, and, and essentially they, there's a ton of benefits to it, they say. And we, we teach our kids that, by the way, very early on. Right? You, you don't get what you want all the time when you want it. And why is that? Because we realize this main benefit, and this is what the psychology, positive psychology today or something says. It improves self-control and helps you reach your long-term goals faster. So this is a worldview. Somehow the world itself, meaning let's say not Christians, they say there is benefit, there is benefit to improving your self-control. That there are times that you want things that you should not have and want to do things you should not do. Even the world recognizes that. And so it recognizes the idea that there's benefits to not doing that. So here's the deal, though. If, if, if you've ever done that, anyone here? I don't want to make you raise your hand. AJ raised his, so he smoked. All right, he threw it out there for everyone. Um, if AJ gets caught up in the moment of the, of when he was quitting you're going to cave, right? If you focus on, oh my goodness, right now I'm filled with rage. Right now I want this. I'm stressed, right? That's what we do. We start to justify. It's just one. I've had a long day. If you focus, if you make that your focus, are you going to make it? No, you're going to cave. You're going to cave. You're going to give in. You're going to take that immediate gratification over the possibility of something way better in the future. The same thing with cake. The whole cake looks good. It does. Is it worth derailing your fitness goals? Even if it's not, maybe, it, you know, we have this idea if I eat a cookie, then my whole fitness thing is destroyed. But mentally, is it worth it even? Is it worth feeling sick? It's like me and ice cream. I can't have milk. I cannot tell you how many times, because I, I developed a milk allergy later in life. I don't know. It apparently can happen. But now, I love ice cream. And every time, you can ask anyone around, I'll say, you know what? I, in my mind, I go, I bet if I just have a little bit, It'll be okay. Or I have, I'm, I've never admitted this, but there's part of me that goes, if it can spontaneously come, it might spontaneously leave. <laughs> so I'll do this. The guys, I mean, everybody will tell you, I do this, I eat it, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm throwing up um, every time because that's what happens to me. <laughs> Someone's like, that's true, amen. Yeah, that is, it, that's what happens. 
And I can't delay that, right? I can't say, ah, I, let me wait and I'll go get a, a non-dairy dilly bar, which is not as good as Blizzard, but it's worth something. You know, if you're, if you're on a diet or you're trying to watch what you eat or maybe you even have to do it for your health, right? Sometimes diabetes, things like that. If you focus on the fact that you're really hungry and you want that, man, I want that. If you, do, if you focus on that, if you don't focus on the goal, you're going to cave. That's reality. So in a strange way, self-discipline, delayed gratification is really just focusing on the benefits to come versus the immediate. Sex and relationships. You know, how many people, whether it was in your past and you regret it, or maybe you're, you're in the present now and you say, oh, you know, I'm, I want to feel close to my significant other. Right? We've had a fight. We've had this. And before you know it, I, well, let's do this and it'll be great and we'll be close again. And then guess what? That doesn't happen. Versus, and I'm not shaming anyone, okay? Because clearly I would be a hypocrite to do so based on my past. But I think that we have to accept the reality that in doing that, we find out very quickly that it doesn't come with the immediate, right? It doesn't come with what we really desire. But that's not what culture kind of tells us. Culture, even though the psychology today says delayed gratification, our entire society is built on immediate gratification. What is social media? Why are we on our phones all the time, right? Why do we, you've heard the studies, it's because we are literally so addicted to dopamine rush of give me what I want now, that, that's what we do. And now, over time, we become numb, so we need different things. Gimme, 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 now, now, now. And it's never enough. And so we're constantly searching, constantly pushing the envelope, constantly wanting more, more, more. And I think in a way, I told you guys you're mopey. You are. I also say it because if you're offended, you might at least listen. Um, you're, you're mopey. You are. You know how, I, man, I just... Oh. You think I say people's names. I really don't. Because sometimes I want to be like, because it's not to be mean. I want to be like, hey, Bob, I see you. You look mopey. Why are you mad when I say that? There's no one here, by the way, uh, named Bob. Is there? <laughs> but it's not about, it's, 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 like, it's trying to get us out of this, uh, man, this mouse mentality. Right? You've seen those studies on mice. They put them in a tube, and they run up, and the mouse gets cheese, and he pushes up. I mean, we're like that. And we, even Christians, we're like that in our patterns. It's, do you understand? You have to make an effort to not fall into the same pattern. You do. You have to. I know. And here's the thing. You know why it's tempting not to? Because it's easy to be lazy. Even if you're not happy, at least you're not tired. At least you're not, I don't know, uh, stressed. We'll, we'll exchange kind of bland and gray. Like, as long as I don't go down here, I'm okay with this, and I'm okay with not getting this. As long as, I, as long as I don't feel too down, I'm okay with not feeling any ups. I'm okay with normal. I've never been okay with that, because normal to me is not positive. So I find a correlation between the king, benefits of the kingdom and the way we sometimes let the immediate situation or pain of our lives make us forget the incredible promises that are coming and are here. Not just when we die, though there's incredible promises for there, because we don't really die. You understand that? Todd, that sounds crazy. No, that's a fact. Make us forget the incredible promises that are coming. I know that some of you in this room today are depressed. Depression is real, man. You know, I did a, a sermon a long time ago, one of my first ones. It was actually my last one before I took like a year off, like 2013, because I messed up. And I had read or heard a sermon, or I can't, maybe it was a professor actually, talking about the dark days of the soul. I bring this up a lot. And I always find that so powerful because there, it's, a, it's why we have different words than just sad. We know moments like depressed and dark days of the soul described what I was feeling in that moment. Where it's like, man, I just can't get out. You know, I was talking to Jill today about something from her past, and she's like, I remember feeling like I was in a hole, right? It was more than just sad. I can't get out. You might be there. Maybe you choose bland because that at least keeps you from the whole. And you've accepted that life will never be anything more than bland. But that's okay because it's better than the pit. So you numb yourself, right? You numb yourself with, with the next hobby or 
you know, the next, for me, it's always accomplishment. You know, when I was working in a bank, it's, I literally remember telling HR, you know, they're, they're, you can make this much money. I was like, honestly, I'm not motivated by money. I even told my boss that because she's like, you're not doing these sales things because you can make a lot of extra money. For instance, oh, man, I'm going to ruin something. If you came in and opened a certain type of checking account, I got money. In fact, it was $3 for that. I could make an extra $25 off you if I got you to take every single thing that I signed, could sign you up for. Now, I mean this genuinely. Because of my, I didn't sell everyone. I made myself feel better because I wouldn't sell people stuff they didn't need. Like the checking account was better. Here I am making excuses. Point is this. When I went in there my first couple of months, I didn't really care because I did feel like, well, I don't I mean, like I would bring it up, but if a person didn't want it, I'd be like, okay. Because if you ever notice that a lot of times we're sort of trained to immediately say no. Hi, would you like this bonus? No. I've done that before, right? And they're like, it's just a card that will give you free. No. All right. Because we always feel like we're getting taken advantage of. So I remember getting pulled into to the office and told by my boss, and she's kind of giving me a stern talking to, and I was like, honestly, like, I just, that doesn't motivate me. Like, I do a good job. Like, I don't care about the money. Well, then she did appeal to something, though, and she sort of challenged my ability to do that, not in, like, a good way, not in a, like, because I don't like this lady. I'll be honest to this day. Um, sorry, whatever your name is. Um, you don't like me either, though. So I went out of there, and guess what I did? I went from zero to, like, uh, 300 in one month I was number one because in my mind I was like I can't once you make it about accomplishment I'm in right the chip on my shoulder my whole point of that story is to say we all have different things for me it was that was it I would I would in my desire striving for accomplishment I could numb the pain but even in the bank I remember this period I was kind of coming out of a lot of stuff, and it's like, okay, I got that. And then I said, I'm going to be a bank manager in six months. I said that straight up to the age. I will be a manager of my own branch in six months. Boom. I was two months in, applied for one, and everybody's like, oh, you're arrogant, whatever. And I was like, okay. Two more months later, I'm all, I'm, I get picked to be the guy who does this new kind of branch, right? So then I got it. And I'm like, hey, you're, you're a branch manager. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. And all of a sudden, I was like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with making money. I'm just saying for me, it wasn't about the money. And when I got what I thought I wanted, where was I going to go next? The people that are vice president, they're going to be there forever, right? So what was my next goal? And I realized that I wasn't really trying. I was trying to run from something. For me in that moment, it was just facing the reality of my life and the depression that I was in. The fact that life didn't go the way I wanted. What's yours? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it sex? Is it pornography? Is it status? I always tell people, mine wasn't really status because I'm too prideful to care what you think, except for I don't want you to think I can't do it, <laughs> which is so funny, right? Like, I would be the guy that would get the mansion and then sell it just to go, hi, I told you I'd get a mansion. I don't really want to live here, right? But that doesn't make it any better. I know some of you are hurt. I know some of you are sad. I know some of you are in talking about money. You're like, man, I, I'm not even trying to be rich. I'm just trying to get through tomorrow. That's real stuff. And you sit here and you say, God, I do what you tell me. See, some of you in this room said, what's the point? And so, yes, you come to church, but you've live in, you live in this, this gray, right? You live in this gray light? <laughs> you live in this place, sermon reference from a couple weeks ago. I realize people that are here the first time, like, what's he talking about? You're bitter. You justify. Hey, it's just one cigarette. And so I, I, I say, I, I, I am excited. I say this every single week, and I mean that. Why do, you, why do we do it if that's what it is, a game of make-believe? We give up. That's not what I see. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 and 45. Listen to this. Jesus gave a lot of parables about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man, man found and reburied. So pause. What an interesting thought. So he comes in. P.S. Don't be acting like you wouldn't do it. So you come in. You don't own the field. We'll find that in a minute. You will put a little, oh my good gosh, there's a stash of black beards gold. I don't know what it's doing here in Indiana. I don't know. But you bury it again. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Think about that, that scenario. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a treasure. So the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. It's Blackbeard's treasure. And it's saying, someone, a man, or maybe you, where I find it, 
and we rebury it. Why would we rebury it? Yeah, because we want it, right? Everybody's like, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Well, you want that. Don't act like you wouldn't. So then you go in his joy. You're motivated by the joy of, oh, my gosh, I'm about to be rich. So you go, you sell everything you have. Everyone's going to think you're crazy, aren't they? They're going to think you're nuts. Why are you doing that? Why are you selling your nice house? Why are you selling your nice car? Why are you living this way? Maybe you even have to like live in the street for a while because you're raising money and you go back and buy the field and you're happy while you're doing it. Everybody's going to go, you're insane because they don't know about the treasure you found. So you go back and you're willing to sell everything to buy it. That's interesting. Does that sound like your faith? That it's so valuable that you'd give up everything just to have it? The answer is no. It's not for me most of the time, but I'm going, do we think of it that way? Keep going. Right, one right after the other, Jesus says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven, so he gives, that's so funny. Hey, okay, I'll tell you another one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. That's all we got. Darn it, I didn't do the whole thing. Uh, well, essentially, I have it here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. That's 46. When he found priceless pearl, he, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So you're a good businessman. I, I'm out here trying to find this. I'm a car salesman. I'm going to come out and, and try to find the perfect car. I don't know a car that is incredibly valuable. Sorry, I'm not a car guy, but substitute that car, guys. Okay, you got one, Zach? Some, what? Okay, yeah, some certain, is there a certain year here? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Some fancy car, all right? He comes and finds it. I'm a car salesman. Hey, I come back and I go, oh boy. So I cover it back up because I found it in the barn of Cletus's place down in Tennessee, right? That's where that stuff is, isn't it? On pickers. Then I go back and I must be back, Cletus. I run and I sell every car on my lot. Everybody think I'm crazy. And I go back just to buy that one car. But that car is worth $5 million, whatever. It's worth more than everything on my lot. Do you think in this situation, say that was you, would you be fearful a little? What if Cletus doesn't sell it to me? Oof, I'm in trouble. Or if you're in the field, what if you sell everything and the guy sold the field before you get back? What if somebody found the treasure? What if this? What if that? Do you think you'd be comfortable the whole time? You would not. You'd be paranoid, right? There's a whole movie like, does anyone see this? Right? It wouldn't always be comfortable, but you still might do it for the chance that you get that. You get the treasure. But this, and he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, Sidney. You believe that? By the way, every time I say name, it doesn't mean they're doing something bad. It just means I'm going to talk to you. Camera people, you know that. Does it feel that way? Is the value of our faith in the kingdom of God, this thing we've been transferred to, is all it is is for when we die? When you die, man, things will be a little better. No wonder we're depressed. It's just like holding on. Have you ever met people like that that are truly they, that's all life is. They get up, they go to work, because they do dutiful things. They're dutiful. They do the right thing. They get up, they go to work, they come home, they mow the lawn, they eat dinner, they talk to their wife for a second. Well, listen, they don't do much talking. They lay down, they go to bed, they get up, and they do it every day. Maybe on Saturday they watch some, some football, not really watching it, though, fall asleep, and then Sunday comes, you got to go to church, they serve, but every day is just, it's my duty. And I'm a good soldier and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but there's no joy in it. Is, it. is that all it is? Well, I don't think Jesus, using these analogies, this, this precious treasure, does it feel like a precious treasure that you are now in the kingdom of God? Does it? This is the time you can say yes or no. Does it feel that way? Because it does it to me all the time. Good, amen, I believe you. Juju, I believe it for you, but not everybody else. Does it feel that way? Are you willing to say no, it doesn't, so that the possibility to figure something out, that it can feel that way? Are you content to just be the person existing? Kept afloat by the knowledge that what? When I die, I don't go to hell. By the way, that's different than focusing on the promise of the kingdom. Does it feel that way? I don't believe Jesus would be that cruel. I think he had a point when he shared just how priceless the benefits of the kingdom are. And if we remember that, remember that, if we remember that, it can make the in-between between now 
And when he comes back, right, to fully establish the kingdom, if we can view it that way, live that way, then life can be different. It can be easier to walk through. Is it going to make the depression go away? No, not necessarily. Is it going to make your financial struggles go away? Not necessarily. Is it going to make the fact that you have family that hates you go away? No, it's not. Is it going to make your marriage magically better? Not necessarily. Following God's ways will, if both people do. But that's the beauty of Jesus. And that's what I love. And that's what so many people don't have wrong. He doesn't promise you that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise with a perfect smile. What he says is, is I have promises for you. I will keep my word. And even in this world, he tells us the opposite. You're going to have hard times. You have two options in these hard times. You can continue to go your way and try to figure it out, numb the pain, live in the gray, ignore it, giggle and laugh, pretend it's not real, and then complain when the, you don't have a drug that gets you high enough. It doesn't matter what the drug is. Or you can accept this, that I have a way that I will equip you to have joy in it. I've said it so many times, and it's like, man, I guess I... I, I I, I, I guess sometimes I think that's why I, by nature, love preaching to unbelievers. And I'll tell you why. They don't always get everything I'm saying because Scripture says that, right? They don't understand. But you know what? They're not numb. They might be raw and bleeding, but they're not numb. In our arrogance, we become numb. And I just literally, some of you and some of you watching, I want to go, how can you be okay with this? I see you. I see it in your eyes that you're just like, I don't, not, I don't care. Get this over with so I can do my duty. I'm not angry. Somebody, why do you preach angry? I don't. I'm just like pleading. Like how genuinely, it's like the matrix, red pill, red pill, red pill or blue pill. You just choose the blue pill over and over and go, why is life not full? Because you won't give yourself enough, like, I don't know, like thought or value to even consider this. Really consider it in your heart. I want to talk about a section of scripture that is a promise, that's filled with promises. It's very famous. But it also points out how it may not feel good in the moment. If you have your Bibles, Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at the very beginning, verses 1 through 12. Who has heard of the Beatitudes? Yeah. This is Jesus. It was really after, this is kind of his coming out party for his public ministry. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. People began to follow him. He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. This is interesting. I had never noticed this before. He didn't preach this part to the crowds. Listen to me. This is important. He did not preach this, the, the Beatitudes to the crowds. Isn't that crazy? I never thought of that either. How do I know? Well, it says, he went up on a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them. Later on, he talks to the crowds. That's when he says he had compassion on them. That's interesting to me. Why? Because the crowds weren't ready for this truth. They weren't ready. There was an assumption here. That his disciples understood that the kingdom of God was here. Even if they didn't understand everything else, they were following him and believed it. And he's preparing them. Before he went and did ministry, he's about to tell them some things. Man, there's a lot here. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He said that to the 
the disciples. For our point here, the, the 12. Right, the ones that were there at this point. I don't know how many. But they were, that's who he talked to before he preached to everyone else. He's saying it to you. Oh, that's nice. Man, are you really thinking about that? Let's go through this. There's a lot here. He went to the mountain. He said to his disciples, he began to teach them. Think of, hey, the poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poor in spirit does not mean poverty, though it can. Poor in spirit, it means exactly what it is. Poor in spirit. You ready? It means the, the original language would have been destitute like a beggar. That desperate. Those who recognize they are spiritually destitute, poor, not good enough. They understand their condition. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's a buildup here. You have to understand who you are. Right? That, that we, before a holy God, aren't good enough. That, that we're poor in spirit. Right? That, um, that we are lacking something. In order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you have to be willing to admit you're lacking something. That's different than the world. Stay with me. I have a good point here that will connect to your desires. Because some of you just want, how does this affect me? Listen. The poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of God is theirs. When you understand that, when you recognize that I do not have anything that can help me, I am too poor, then you will have the kingdom. What's the world say? Find it within yourself. You've got a little God. Remember I told you a few weeks ago this new, uh, it's not Christianity, what do they call it? Exvangelicalism. There's a Christ in you and a Christ in me and a Christ in the universe. It's this concept that I, right who I am, the way that I am, can be good enough on my own. Twelve steps to be a successful Christian. It's, it's a, it makes no sense. You can't have 12 steps to be a good Christian. It has to start with the fact that you're not a good Christian. That sounds weird. Stay with me. Todd, how is this making me feel worse? It's because initially that sounds bad, right? You have to start there. Sometimes our misery comes in the fact that we, we kind of start to think that we are something it's a weird thing. Well, Todd, isn't self-esteem? We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, i got to have good sense. You're missing the point. It doesn't mean I hate myself to say I'm not good enough. Hey, I'm not going to dunk on Shaq. That doesn't mean I'm worthless. That's reality. The poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of God is theirs. Let's move on. Those who mourn. Wait, let me go back to poor in spirit. See, we, when we recognize our situation, when we recognize our poverty, we inherit the kingdom. What does the world say? It's the opposite of the world. The world is going to tell you that we have to elevate ourselves to be successful. That's why certain sermons are white, washed, vanilla, flavorless sugar water that makes you feel good in the moment, that brings no life, because all it talks about is how you are good enough. That doesn't cure you, though, right? Because you came in saying, Lord, if I'm good enough, if I have it all figured out, why is life like this? That's why these false gospels, these false messages, and these false teachers, not only is there a spiritual aspect that is terrifying, but even to true believers, the fact that it makes you go, why, I, I'm still hungry, because it doesn't fix anything. Because you are incapable. I'm going to say this again, and this is hard for me. You are incapable of fixing your spiritual health. On your own, you're, you're incapable of it. If you constantly seek something other than God in the relationship, and doing what he says. Even, oh man, I just, I get like this because I'm arguing with myself. Because I just know some of you. Just, it gets me so fired up. Todd, why are you so mad? I just wish, I know I'm not God. I just wish I could wake you up. Because I know it's you. The world says we elevate ourselves. Jesus says, listen, the beginning of being elevated, the beginning of having life, being in the kingdom, being a king or queen, being who you really are, starts with the recognition that I'm relying on him. That's the opposite of the world. Even in Christianity, it's, it, there's very little mention of that in popular mainstream Christianity. Instead, let's go read a book about making a circle. And if we do that, then life's going to be awesome. No offense. You can like the book, but I mean, what's the, hey, if I go do this, 
magical ritual, God's going to bless me. Who's God then? I am because I control him with my magic. I'm not trying to offend you, but like think about the heart of that sometimes. You know why you really like it? Because it gives you a sense of control over your life. If I march around eight times, like they take the story of Jericho and like now I make it a spell and I'm going to walk around. That's what it is. Call it what it is. That doesn't mean the heart of the people reading it, the teaching. is. I'm just telling you that's reality. You want the walls to come down? Ask God to do it. Because it was God that did it. It was not the walking. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Number two, this one, there's encouragement here. Stay with me. I try to say this is going to be an encouraging one, and I still challenge. Because you have to start with that, man. You have to, you have, anyone that knows me knows I am proud by nature. I confess this. I am stubborn. <laughs> Some of you are like, he sure is. He's, he, I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm prideful. I don't like to lose. It's hard for me to say I can't do something. It is. So when I say this to you, I'm not saying, I'm saying like, I'm, I can honestly say from experience that in, when I let go, is when I have freedom, peace, joy. So he goes on to say, what do we say? Those who are mourn are blessed. Does anyone know, what's the word mourn mean? It's deep grief. I mourn over someone who passed away. It's that deep, deep grief. Well, what it's saying here, and I think there's a couple of things to it, but the indication, first and foremost, because God's talking to his disciples about their spiritual well-being. They mourn what? It means we have deep grief over sin. We have deep grief over our situation. It's building, right? We're, the, we're poor in spirit. We're not, we don't have enough. <clears throat> we, now we're going to mourn that. We, oh, my goodness, I see what I am, God. I'm sorry, what does he say? For they will be comforted. Isn't that beautiful? Well, how am I going to be comforted when I mourn? This is, what he, this is the way the kingdom is. When you do what the world says not to do and are willing to release things, it comes back. When we have grief over sin, which leads us to repent of our situation, in our humility, we will then experience true joy. I know this to be a fact. Maybe you remember your own testimony. You should. But when I became a believer, there was a before and an after. And nothing else in life changed but Jesus. And yet, I said, I feel lighter. Life is different. I'm not a millionaire. In fact, life has gotten far worse for me in many ways. But I have a joy that people in my family that don't know Jesus don't have. We were raised the same. Exactly the same. In fact, I was raised in it longer because I'm the oldest. 22. <laughs> we have, we have, what's a big laugh? We have grief over sin. We experience true joy. So God says, listen, in that morning, I know that it feels like the world's going to tell you don't do that. I'll say, but I will come and I will comfort you. It's, it's no different than the knife, right? I've got a knife in my leg. I can do two things. I can go, Greg's like, hey, you got a knife? You're like, I need a knife in my leg, Greg. Todd, I see the blood. I feel fine. I pop a morphine pill or whatever. I feel great. I just have an itch. There is literally, you are going to die. Yeah, whatever, man. Until I eventually, he pokes him. Like, oh, oh, my goodness. Pull it out, and now I can treat it. The comfort comes in the recognition. Not in pretending it's not there. Now, here's the thing. Kingdom and not. And listen what I told you at the beginning. I promise I'll tie it back. What's the value here? The value is, he sa- it's the opposite of what the world says. The world says, no, 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 no. I don't mourn what I am. I glorify what I am. I build my self-esteem. <laughs> he says, stop seeking self-esteem and I will esteem you. I will comfort you. Stop running to the things of this world that they are going to tell you make you feel better. When there are things in you that only I can make feel better. I say this many times. Listen, I've been depressed and I've been on medication. It helps. But I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't cure everything. It does not cure everything. Why? If medication cures everything, why, why are people who are on medication committing suicide? Why does it happen? And I'm not making light of that. I'm serious. There are holes. There are things that even medication cannot fill. You get a high, then you come back down, Right? But there's comfort in this. Hey, I know it's hard. Let's talk about mourning in general. Having to, to be 
different, having to understand and walk this out and, and in some ways constantly be reminded how, how you're not God. That can be hurtful. And he says, but, but listen to me, I am comforting you. I will comfort you. That's why, you know, kids, I'm going to keep picking on because they're in the front row and they don't listen. I'm going to do it all the time. I'm allowed to, right? It's so funny because like 10 years they're going to go, man, I wish I'd listen, right? But right now, TikTok and all that makes them feel good. But only in the short term. I get it. People are like that today with Facebook and TikTok adults. Number five, not five, it's the fifth verse. The third trait he talks about is gentle. I love this one, guys. I remember we just talked about this. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. I want you to think about that. Do the gentle tend to inherit the earth? Huh? Do, they, do, they, do they tend to inherit the earth? Do they, do they, are they in charge? Are the gentle in charge? No. No. Gandhi wasn't leading all right, the United Nations, okay? That, that, that's, think of whoever else you want to be pacifist, don't lead armies. So that makes no sense. So what is he saying here? He says, gentleness, I got to tell you about this word. This is so neat. And I researched it more, guys. I have even more cool stuff, Lionheart, guys. So, you know, uh, one of the ways in which this word, the root of it, it's a derivative of another word, is the idea of, and a soldier saying, a person who has a sword knows how to use it and keeps it sheathed. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're weak. Listen to me. Gentle does not mean weak. Was Jesus weak? But he was gentle in spirit. The other thing it is, is, is that it has to do with, it's the idea of soldiers they could use, who lived with non-soldiers in peace. Now, before that, think about that. It's the idea of what could a soldier do? He just starts killing everyone, <laughs> right? You are all weak. I'm going to chop you up. No, he lives at peace with them even though he's a soldier. It's strength restrained. They talk about a war horse. And I told you guys. It's the idea, um, the other war, place we see this used in ancient texts is when it said war horses that are so well trained that they could be with regular horses and behave the same. Does that mean that they're not trained for war? Does that mean they can't do damage? No, it just means they are kept under the, the control and training of the master and act gentle out of that. It's having the right or power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. I'll say that again. Being gentle means you have the right, meaning even morally, you've been wronged, you have the right, or the power, I am bigger, meaner, have more clout. You like what I did there? That's a hip word. You know what that means, don't you, kids? Yeah. Having the right or power to do something but refraining for the benefit of someone else. I love you enough, even though you have wronged me, that I value and I will not do to you what I have the right to do and the ability to do. I remember a time in my life when I had to learn this lesson. I've learned it many times. By nature, I'm a fighter. I'm not trying to be a tough guy. There's a difference. I, I, that's, that's by nature I am that. You know, I, I committed a sin eight years ago now. It feels like yesterday. I've committed many, but the, a big one that, you know, really hurt, hurt me in my ministry. And, and it was so funny, man, because a lot of the people close to me, I always say I went from a prince to a pauper to them. When I was useful, oh, man, we love this guy. Come and do everything here and be our church. I'm going to offer you a job at 12 churches and blah, 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 blah. And, you, you know, it's hard not to, when you, when you don't value yourself and a bunch of people finally are, you're kind of like, well, this is nice. What happened, though, is then they began to turn and then they began to justify their own sin towards me by using my sin, right? Well, he's a, he, was, he did something wrong, so I'm allowed to beat him into submission. I remember sitting outside of a, at the same time my back went out, I was just in misery, man. I couldn't walk. I sat outside, and I remember this distinctly, outside of, in Fort Wayne, outside of my physical therapist. I was in pain, and I was so angry. I got an email, some jerky email from someone. I mean, they went so far as to, like, trying to stop me from getting jobs. And more, you know, and in the world's eyes, if I'm honest, it wasn't, it wasn't nothing. It wasn't a crime. It wasn't anything. Because I really what it boiled down to is they were powerful people, powerful Christians, and I just told them I don't care what you think. But they kept coming at me, and, kind of, and I remember sitting there, and out loud I said, God, I can destroy them. Because I'd worked behind the scenes. I know the truth. I did. I said, I can destroy them. And I felt, okay, and I knew at that moment, right, what it is to be a believer. Because, Spirit, I know you can, but I'm telling you not to. 
And in that, though, there came a peace because I didn't feel weak anymore. I felt strong. But how much strength does it take? Which takes more strength, to lash out or to not? That's countercultural, though, isn't it? To, to seek peace and live at peace, even when the people around you aren't. It's being countercultural because what is it? Hey, you can't be walked over. When you get walked over, you, you want to get ahead, right? Nobody's going to talk about you. You got to talk about you. You got to get ahead. You got to step over who you got to step over. It's kill or be killed. I see the appeal, right? When you're in a position of power, what happens when you're not? It's all good to be kill or be killed when you're the one doing the killing. Whole different matter when somebody's killing you. But countercultural, you know, it's countercultural because the world says getting walked over doesn't lead to happiness. Being soft, right? Man, a lot of times it's us that feel that. That's being soft. Happened a few weeks ago, right? Flag, I told you guys, a guy got in my face, said this thing, and like, praise God, man, I'm changed. Cause I'm, but later on, the guys in my line, I came up to him and was like, dude, I feel weak. Because the old Todd, the way I was raised, is that was weak that I didn't break his jaw. I don't mean to be tough, but that's, that's reality. I wanted to. And days later, I felt weak. But it wasn't, right? It wasn't weak. It was choosing to love that guy even though he was not being loving. Mm, that's a whole other message because I want to go turn the other cheek because we've misinterpreted that as well. Um, <clears throat> you can't, yeah, never mind. Anyway, the truth is what Jesus said is being gentle towards others leads to joy. It's such a good reminder in those moments that make us feel weak. So there's a promise here in the kingdom. You, you feel weak. You feel pathetic. You feel like, Oh my gosh, man, you're trying to get me to be punked. No, no, trust me. That's where true joy is. You might get happiness and satisfaction in the moment when I punch that guy in the face, but I'm not going to feel that later. And now what have I done to everyone around? How do I look? He goes on, he says, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. That's interesting. The implication is, you know, are, you, are there times you're hungry? Are there times you're thirsty? It could be for anything. There are people in this country that this verse becomes very, very real. They are starving. Imagine, imagine reading that in a third world country where you haven't had something to eat in two weeks. And now God says to you, hey, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled in that. All of a sudden, well, how many people would be here? How many people will be here if and when the government says, if you want this, you can't go there? You want food? You can't go there. You think that isn't a realistic possibility? So we have to be ready for that. But you'll be filled. You may struggle in this domain at times. Filled could be a lot of things. You know, I'm hated. I don't have money, right, because you don't cheat to get ahead. That's hard, right, in sales especially. There were people that would make more than me at times because they would cheat. And then, then there's a big mix, right? One, I want that money, but two, I, the pride of, like, you beating me, but you're cheating, so I'm going to get ahead by doing the same thing. There's a promise here. You may be hungry, hungry, you may be hurt, you may be lonely, you may be persecuted, but you will have your heart's desire filled someday, someday. But in the meantime, he also, there's an implication that you can be filled now. You know, at the loneliest time of my life, and I feel like I know when if I were in the seat, it'd be like, that's what a pastor's supposed to say, but I'm not going to lie to you because then I'm playing the game. When I was at my loneliest, loneliness, every time, when I clung to him, I was okay. I, I mean that. I was okay. But we don't do that many times. The times when I fought the temptation to find respite or rest in the arms of a woman, girl, I'm not going to do anything. We're just going to hang out because I'm sad, right? I just want someone to talk to. Nah. When I gave in, early 20, you know, I never felt better. <laughs> but when I chose to follow him and do the right thing, I did. It's the weirdest thing. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it's the truth. And that's the opposite of what the world says. They say, if I take care of, I got to take care of myself to get what I want. Whatever it takes. 
That might make you happy, but it won't give you joy. It'll always depend, be dependent on that circumstance. He goes on to say what? He says, those that are merciful, right? Those that are merciful, as soon as I find my notes someday, are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. They will be shown mercy. Well, that's easy. It's hard to be merciful when people are jerks. It is. It's hard to offer forgiveness. It's hard because mercy is different than grace. You understand that, right? Grace is a status. I'm going to treat you better than you deserve. Mercy says, I'm going to not punish you when I have the right to do so. That's what mercy is. Mercy isn't just that I'm not going to punish you. Mercy says, you've wronged me, Norman. I have the right to hurt you. Please have mercy on me. Doesn't feel that way, though, does it? What feels right is, I'm going to pay you back. you got to think it deeper. God says it's going to be hard. You're going to feel weak, being, not taking vengeance on yourself, for yourself. All these things. And God says, I know that doesn't make sense, but in your mercy, the fact that you are merciful, that you are different, you will be shown mercy when the man, when the one who really brings vengeance comes. Vengeance is for me, says the Lord, right? Is this making sense to you guys? Because part of me is like, maybe we just call it a day and pray, because I mean that genuinely. Sometimes we got to do that. Sometimes we got to say, yeah, you know what? We're not in a place to hear this. Sometimes I think that, man. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old. 23 is coming. Every time I say that, everybody's like, oh, Todd, we're just thinking. I was like, "Ah, are you? Because I kind of know when you're thinking. I'm not God, but I don't know, man. Maybe we're not ready for that. Maybe, Maybe even in this church, I'm talking to the remnant, not the people watching. Maybe we're just in a place that we've kind of gotten a little arrogant. Maybe we think being the remnant means we are something. Maybe we th- we've kind of gotten in the habit of doing it normal. Isn't that funny? We moved to the mornings and now it's normal. Yeah, I think we're going to do that. We come up and play. She's going to come play a song today. <laughs> we'll finish this. But I want, I want you to consider stuff. It's not even... I shouldn't have to say this, but I will. I'm not angry. I'm not weird. I'm just a guy trying to follow God who's been given a job that is, makes no sense, which is trying to tell you about Jesus. And Todd, how do you know that? You're being, no, I just know, man. Call it what it is. I don't care if the camera hears it. There's a spiritual aspect to all of this. For a long time, man, I told AJ, the plan was today, you want to know something funny? The plan today was to come in bringing the heat just at the remnant. It was. Had it all, and then I, you know, maybe I wasn't listening because believe it or not, I'm, I have a tender heart, and I know people struggle, and a lot of times when people do things that are wrong, I tend to go, well, I know I do things wrong when I'm hurt, and I'm lonely, and I forget who I am, and so I say, maybe that's what they need, you know, maybe God, that's what you're telling me, and then I go, I don't know that anymore. I'm not talking to the camera today, Remnant, I'm talking to you. Why are there people that visit sitting alone while you giggle and laugh with your friends? Why are you looking around at other people? Look at yourself. Why do we treat people poorly but act like we're saints? Why do we act like an exclusive club that, well, you got to prove yourself before I'll love you? Why are there people that have come to this church for the past month that you don't know their name? There's not a thousand people here yet. the thing we say, oh, Christianese. That's all the other churches, right? How many times have I told you, how does that happen? You think a church starts up and says, I'm going to be like everyone else, and I'm going to make the invisible stay invisible, and I'm going to be the place for the haves and not the have-nots. Do you think that's what happens? No. They all start out with a mission statement and a goal and, you know, three pillars that mean nothing. When you stop being moved by the word of God, what's your spiritual temperature? Even now, those of you questioning it and saying, how dare he is an indicator, is a barometer of your spirit. Are you humble in spirit if that's where you are? 
do you prove to yourself right now all the ways you're not that? Last Tuesday, I talked to a guy at the gas station. If you're a visitor, I'm sorry. But the fact is this, man, and I'm telling you, I, I won't do it. I won't play this game. I promise you I won't. Ask Tim. You don't believe me? You think, so? you think that I will? I just told you I'm crazy. I'll go back to the bank. I won't do it. How have we, I love you so much. You are so special. I believe it. But how, do you, how have we become a people that seek to justify our own actions more than make someone else feel better? More than repent and apologize. That I'd rather have fun than sit with the lonely and to seek the broken. That I'd rather judge someone. Look how weird they are. Let me remind you, you were weird before somebody brought you in and cleaned you up and taught you how to live. Yeah, man. two weeks, man. I mean, we should shut the camera off, but it's already going now. I have been the last month I have watched as you've walked by person after person laughing, having fun while they sit there. No one knows them sitting here because they have a reason they're here looking for something, looking for Jesus first, but looking for community, looking to be seen, and you walk by them. Oh, but man, I love a good sermon about the Good Samaritan. Woe to you. How many people do you know their names? Once, right now in a room this size, especially, I'm seeing remnant people. How many greeters? I asked the greeters the other day what someone's name was, and they didn't know. Had been here five times. <laughs> Get mad. That's a reality. That's ridiculous. start a fake church with fake community doing fake things with a watered down gospel you guys want me to tell you how great you are is that all you want you want me to talk about money that you'll be rich do I need how long do I have to suck up to you before you say you know what I want to follow God and I know God's here but I'm going to quit making this place earn it how dare him beyond measure we have a story that's crazy and miraculous it is and you take it for granted and forget who you were because you've been in the party too long you know what I'm talking about man what is it and guess some of you are in here you're not guests anymore you're not but you don't you don't commit to a church home because the bottom line is I'm going to get you before I leave you don't want the commitment, the accountability, the weight of community, but you want the benefits. When you need to pick me up, you go to church, right? I'm talking about the believers. If you're in this room and you're seeking, hey, you know who you are. This is real or it isn't, and, and I'm not trying to tear you down, man. I have days and weeks where it's just all, I get it. But if we can't hear God's word and desire to, to hear its truth and apply it to our lives, man, what are we doing? That's for anyone watching, too. If you came on just to find out what I said wrong, what, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know what God's going to call you to do. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I encourage you to take this time and seek your heart. I know I'm going to be. Ask yourself, first and foremost, those of you in here, does this, is it, are you numb to this? Be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me. God knows. And if you are, you think that's my fault because I didn't speak well enough? Squirt you with a squirt gun? Might be my fault, but it's not that reason. It's not those reasons. 
if you're in this room and you're one of those people that's hurting and you're wondering why, if this is worth it, I know today may make it seem like it's not, but it is. Because when you're hurting, he does comfort you. And when you're merciful, he gives you mercy. And when you're poor in spirit and it makes no sense, he somehow makes you feel like the best, I don't know, he makes you feel like a saint. It doesn't make sense. None of it does, but it's real, and God loves you so much. My prayer for you today, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, is that you don't let the people who claim his name blind you to who he really is. I will never be Jesus. I just love him and follow him. If you want to find him, he'll find you. Whatever you do today, don't leave the same as you came in, because if you do, you're choosing to.